And uh, I was like, listen, I got this movie I want to make. I don't know if I have enough money to do it, uh, but I think that we should just get started. And so we started underfunded. And, uh, but if you wait until you get full funding for anything, I, I tell people this all the time, like if you wait until you have all the funding that you need to start a project, you're never going to end up starting. You're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. Joe Vrola, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, when you and I connected almost a year ago, it was through a a good friend of ours podcast, and uh, you were just kind of getting into making your movie, Buzzkill. Yes. I'm really happy to see that it's now on Amazon. My wife and I uh, haven't watched it yet, but we went ahead and ordered it. So we're going to watch it tonight when the kids go to bed. We don't want uh, uh, a horror movie. Yeah. uh, At least if we want them to ever sleep again. So. (laughs) Yeah. So the, um, when I, when I wanted to, I wanted to uh, logo, when I was on the logo podcast, that was when we, I had just finished it. So that was like a two-year process to, to film the movie, edit it, and then it was ready to, I was ready to publish it. So I was like, oh, you know, I want to start talking about it. I didn't realize that publishing was going to take me like almost another year to get it up onto Amazon. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a learning process because I had never made a film before. I had written some stories, but I had never made a film uh, start to finish. And I figured I wanted to, my biggest thing is writing. I'm more of a writer than I am anything else. And I figured my first, my first screenplay, I wasn't going to get any help. There wasn't going to be someone that was going to come out of the woodwork and say, Oh yeah, that, this is a great screenplay. I'm going to buy it from you. So I was like, you know what, I'll make it myself. And then, uh, you know, I, I took the, uh, I took the screenplay and I started to figure out how am I going to make this into a movie and just through basically luck and and keeping my eyes open i i i came across a a director of photography a cameraman this guy john his company socialize and he did he did before that he was doing a social media marketing and uh, i was like listen i got this movie i want to make i don't know if i have enough money to do it uh, but i think we should just get started and so we started underfunded and, uh, but if you wait until you get full funding for anything, I, I tell people this all the time. Like if you wait until you have all the funding that you need to start a project, you're never going to end up starting. So we kind of just started. Oh, under, yeah. So we just started underfunding and, uh, underfunded and we just kept going and it ended up taking a long time. It took two years to make, and it's a summertime movie. Uh, summertime in New Jersey only lasts, you know, at most you get six months of, uh, of summer, um, of daylight and stuff, and then winter would come. So then we'd have to cut for six months. And my, my actors, bless their hearts, had to keep their all, they had to keep their same, same hairstyle for two years. And uh, they had to bear with me and we all pulled it off. And then the movie was done. And uh, we, I wanted to show, we, we, I entered it into the New Jersey HorrorCon Film Festival. That was right around when I went on the, the uh, Chances podcast. And uh, we hadn't won it yet, but we had submitted. And, and then we won, we, won, um, we won New Jersey HorrorCon back in 2019. 
And then it was t come time to get it up on Amazon. And that uh, was a whole new thing because when it comes to getting a film onto a platform, it, there's a lot of, it has to be a perfect file. It has to be, there can't be any little mistakes. There can't be any, um, an example I like to use is like, if say you recorded a scene and you see two people walking, but you don't hear footsteps, maybe your microphone didn't pick up the footsteps, you're too far away. They'll make you go record footsteps and add it because they're from the viewer's perspective, they don't want the viewer to get confused when they're watching to see people walking and not hear stuff. So it was a long learning process, but we finally got it up and it's been up for about two weeks now. We've had pretty good reviews. Um, people like it. And uh, I'm pretty excited to, to talk about it. It's, uh, I'll give you a little background on the story. So I wanted, to, when I first started to, to, to write, I was like, all right, I'm gonna make a movie. What is it gonna be about? Well, I'm in New Jersey. What's something that's, you know, New Jersey, but appeals that people know about from other, that, that know about New Jersey that, that people from other states can, can kind of, they, they know about it. And that's the Jersey Devil. People know about it because, because of the hockey team. And, but apparently, I mean, I've, I don't know, I've never seen it, but there's a lot of people that believe that it's a real creature that the Jersey Devil's real, it's walking around in the Pine Barrens, it's uh, the, the official story, the one if you're wanting to get, like I made a bunch of backstories for my film about the Jersey Devil, but the original backstory is Zeus's witch, her name was Mother Leeds, and she had a bunch of children, and the 13th child um, was, it came out a monster, it was like, uh, it came out, it was either the devil impregnated, or I don't know exactly how she got, to that point, but when it came out, it came out a monster, flew into the air, and that's what the Jersey Devil is. It's a monster baby of a witch. So I think so it was basically, uh, so it's basically like an urban legend that's been floating around Jersey forever. Yeah, there's okay. there's people I mean, that have supposedly it, seen it. We've got those here, you know, in South Carolina. We've got, uh, I think our most popular one is the Lizard Man. I don't know if you've heard of him. Somewhere like in the low country of South Carolina. I'm assuming near like Hannah and Charleston and all those other places. Um, there's allegedly a lizard man that just, he's like a, I don't know, like an alligator that walks around on, it's like, it's bipedal. It walks around on two legs and it eats people that are like campers and hikers and hunters. And there's this in it's, it's weird. There's an entire culture around these urban legends. You know, um, of course, everybody knows about Bigfoot, you know, yeah. or uh, the alligators in the sewers in New York City, you know. Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, the Loch Ness Monster. You know, these just urban legends that are very central to their geographical location where, you know, you're not going to see the Loch Ness Monster in Montana. You have to go to Scotland, you know. Um, but for some reason, those things just, they, they have so much traction. And if you talk to the right people, it's really dug into the culture around that area. You know, you have people that'll tell their kids and it almost reminds me of uh, like kind of the stories you would, you know, see or hear like in these movies based in medieval times. Oh, you don't go out there because the dragon will get you or or just there's some weird legend that people would always tell their kids to get them to behave. And yeah. it's culturally, it's interesting to me because these urban legends kind of shape our communities 
in, in, a, in a very small manner, but used to, it was huge. Nobody would want to go outside at night because the lizard man in low country, South Carolina would get you, yeah. you know? And then of course the Jersey devil, I've heard of the Jersey, the Jersey devil, but I've never really, you know, dove into exactly what it is. Cause you see all these shows on these different, um, like A and E series where it's like a, a mini documentary of like the top 10 urban legends in America. You know, mm-hmm. and you all, and you always see these little things, <clears throat> but you don't realize how significantly dug into the local culture that they are. So I think it's really cool that when you did your movie Buzzkill, you tapped into that culture. I think that's why it got so, you know, in my opinion, I think it's why it got, you know, such such high regard from the Jersey Horror Con because it digs into the local culture so much that they relate with it. Yeah, well, the the um, like what you were saying about how each each region, uh, each state has its own monster or urban legend or creature. It's almost like a like a mascot, um, something that you know you can. Like when I was a kid, my my parents, I was very uh, high strung and I didn't talk a lot, but I used to like to run out of the house. And my parents used to say that they would say, you, they'd say, "Hey, Joey." look out for the wolf. And then whenever I heard them say that there was a wolf, I would stop running and run back to the house. And it was to keep me in check. Now with the Jersey Devil, it's kind of, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird, um, it's a weird creature because it's a very shy, um, it's, it's known for disappearing as soon as you see it. That's, that's one of like the, the tell tail signs that you've seen it is that if you look at it, it disappears, it flies away. It's not super, um, you know, it's not like it's like, so what I, so if you're looking at like the official Jersey Devil, so what I did is, um, I hope, I'm hoping my power doesn't go back out. It was out for a while, but hopefully it's blinking, but hopefully it stays on. So the, um, so what I wanted to do was kind of take the Jersey Devil legend, which everybody's familiar with, and maybe give it a little bit more of a personality and maybe a little bit more of an explanation as to why people are so aware of it or hyper aware. Because if you go down to South Jersey, North Jersey people might be a little bit more cynical about it, but South Jersey people are pretty, they'll tell you that it's real, it exists. They know someone who's seen it. I actually know somebody who told me a story that they heard from a friend, you know, whatever, but- He was one of those. So yeah, so so they were in the woods out in the Pine Barrens and there was this, uh, abandoned shack. It's actually on the on the website. One of the Jersey Devil stories. It's they were, they went to this abandoned shack and they, were, they would have parties. I mean, kids do that when they when they don't have a place to go to drink or whatever. So what happened was they were seeing they were sitting at the party and then they they looked out into the woods and they saw this bird. It was like a big black bird, and covering it was like. So what the according to this person, the, the bird had a face of a horse. Or, or a cow or they couldn't see it was far away and they had these big black wings that were draped over the front of it. And so being that it was in South Jersey, someone decided to shoot at it with a handgun and um, they shot right at it. And, uh, and according to the story, the bullets passed right through it. And uh, once that happened and the, and the creature didn't move, everybody who was at the party decided to run. At that time they, they ditched. And that's just one of many encounters. So I took that the fact that it would change, and I, I kind of turned it into that the Jersey Devil was a shapeshifter because there's so many different accounts where it looks similar 
It's got weird features, uh, different features. And so it was, it, I turned it into, it could be, it could be anybody. And I made it a little bit more like when you see the movie, it's not, it's more, uh, I don't want to give it away. I want, I want people to see it. So I don't want to tell what happens in the movie, but, but yeah, it's a real thing that people deal about. And when, it, and when we think about urban legends, especially the darker ones, like the Jersey devil is a devil born of a witch. I think it's, if you really get down to it, the people are a little bit less inclined to say that the devil exists or maybe they don't want to believe it, but they'll believe that there's evil and, and when evil exists, it comes in forms that, you know, are monsters. And it just kind of helps people kind of digest the fact that there is evil around us. And it gives a face to it and helps people, uh, I don't know, make sense of it. So I thought that was yeah, a good I was gonna say, That's kind of how we make sense of the world. If we can slot it into, you know, this is good or this is evil. We all have these predeterminations of what is good and what is evil. But what is evil manifested you know that's hard for us as humans to kind of wrap our heads around so we give it a face you know? yeah uh either through the point of religion you know with you know satan lucifer uh the devil or the point of you know maybe a serial killer like your michael myers or your jason Voorhees or john wayne gacy yeah um we we have to put a face to something that looks familiar. And so I think that's why, um, you know, and, and the term devil is so illustrative in itself that people will automatically assume, you know, horns, wings, forked tail. Yeah. And, and you know, their imagination kind of like, it's almost an abstract uh, vision or idea of what evil is, but we're being, you know, humans are very visual creatures. And so we will, try to place a face or a shape or something that resembles, you know, sinister, like the bat, you know, to uh, at least make sense of it in our own head. So we create these monsters um, in our, in our, out of our own images and out of our own visualizations. So, yeah, I, I totally get that, why people would say, and, and how it would be easier, you know, for you to create this uh, shape-shifting version, because, a monster is different to different people. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, um, so what was it like when you decided I'm going to make a movie? I mean, you said you were a writer and uh, you, you don't, did you have any kind of experience? Did you go to college or anything for performing arts or anything like that? I went to school. I went to Muhlenberg college in, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I majored in studio art, uh, fine art. My, I was always good at art. And the reason I took that as a major was because I wanted to get out of school in four years. I didn't want to, uh, it's expensive. And I wanted to make sure that I graduated. So I picked a focus that's something that I could do. I was always able to draw, uh, paint. Um, drawing and painting were my two strongest. So that, So what I didn't really know how to do was photography. And back when I was in school, photography was still done on film. You had to, um, so people like to, there's a lot of people that are into photography now, but people don't realize that back in the day or back in the day, 10 years ago when I was in college. I just feel really old here. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it makes me feel old to talk about it. But Back but in the day, we had 35 millimeter film and you had to give it to the lady at the pharmacy and she'd tell you to come back in a few hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, the back in the day, when we were, the thing about photography was you took the picture. That was just the first part of it. You had to get that perfect. You had to get the perfect picture. But that was only the first part of it. You had to then develop the film that you couldn't get wrong. You couldn't you couldn't make any mistakes because if light got into your film. So you would take, you would take a picture, you'd say, Oh, that looked pretty good. I hope it, I hope it looks good. You know, later on, then you have to take the film out of the, out of the camera in pitch black. So you had to do this because no light could hit the film. That was how the technology worked. The light would come in uh, from, from whatever you, whatever image you captured, it would go into the film. The film had to stay in the dark and you would unload the film to then, um, to the, you then to develop it. You'd have to be in a dark room and you'd have to do this basically imagine doing it with your eyes closed you had to unload the film and then put it in this thing add the chemicals to it to set it then you'd have the then you'd have your film and then you you would cut your film into uh strips of five or whatever it is and then you would look at it and you'd see the film and it's and the film would be the opposite version it's like uh you know in, inverted or whatever and and you'd have to pick out the best one and then you'd have to take it into the dark room and you get something that was called a projector, I think it was called. And then, so you'd have to get the special paper with the film into the projector, shine light through the film onto the piece of paper for X amount of seconds. And this, and you ended up having to do this over and over again. And then you take it from the from, from the projector, put it into one, uh, the developer film. The, it, was, it was a chemical. So there's three, uh, there'd be three, um, three containers filled with chemicals. Um, the first chemical was the developer. That would develop the picture. Then you put it into the stopper. That would stop the development. So if you put it, if you would have kept it in the, in the film, if you keep developing it, it'll just turn black eventually. So then you put it in the stop and that stops the process. So you, and then you put it into the, the third one, which I don't even remember what it was. So anyway, I didn't know how to do any of this. It was really technical. It seemed really difficult. So I was like, all right, so that'll be my, that'll be my major. And by learning how to do that, I mean, that'll at least give me something interesting to do. And at least, and at least I'll have learned something because if I would have majored in, I also majored in pho Photoshop, which was a new thing at the time. Um, but those are things that I wanted to learn because I could always do, I could do drawing, I could do painting, I could do sculpture, but I could, these are the more technical aspects of it. So I figured if I was ever going to get into it down the line, if I was going to make a, a career out of it, I would at least have the basics. So in the process of being, in college, it went from my freshman, sophomore year, all film, no digital. Then digital became really big my, my junior year. And by the time my senior year came around, film photography was on its way out and digital was the new medium. Uh, it, was, it became the future. So digital was really, it was really in a uh, beta stage for the first couple of years. And then I realized that that was gonna be the only there was only going to be digital from now on. Like you can't even buy chemicals. I'm sure you could still buy the equipment. You can maybe buy film, but the chemicals to develop it, it's, they don't even really sell them. And uh, I don't even know where you would get them, but everything's digital now. So yeah, so then I did, so then I left college and I was like, I don't know if I, I, I had done a couple of internships at MTV networks. Um, but then um, through the, the, the program that I, I was in the pro social department, which was uh, for Nickelodeon, the kids show, we did the big green help and kids pick the president. So we were in the pro social department 
and uh, I would have gotten I would have gone on with them, but they ended up getting rid of they they downsized uh, the whole department. So I was basically I was like, all right. So then I'm gonna I, then after college, that's when I moved to Florida, and I started working as at a hotel. I was a beach attendant. It was like the best job. I worked at the Ritz Carlton in uh, in South Florida. I met some of like my the best friends I've ever met. Uh, we had a really close time. I made a lot of money, uh, you know, but it was a tough, it was tough work. I, I was the beach attendant, which meant I had to set up the beach and uh, set up the chairs. And then it was, it was a lot of work. It was fun, but I knew I couldn't keep doing it because eventually my body was going to give out. I need to do something that I, that, that my mind would carry instead of my back. Cause I knew eventually yeah, I could do it for, you know, maybe another couple 20 years, but eventually I need to do something else. So then I got into training. Through the luck of the draw, um, the company that bought my parents' company had a trading business that was in South Florida, in Boca, and I started working for them as a commodities trader, which I still do. I'm still a full-time commodities trader, and I trade boxed beef. Um, if you think of uh, commodities trading, it's like like a stockbroker acts as a go-between between buyers and sellers. A commodities a commodities broker is a buyer and a seller, so they buy, take possession and then sell the product, hoping that the market, like, so they buy, hoping the market's gonna go up, you buy low, sell high, that sort of thing. I've, I've been doing that for 10 years. And then after a while, my boss actually brought it up. He's like, you know, the real money is when you're the source. When you're the, cause right now we're buying from other people, we're buying their products, hoping that it appreciates and selling it, which we were doing, we can do. But when you're the source, you set the product, you set the price, you're the one making all the money. I mean, you have all the overhead, but you're the, when you're the source, you're the one that's actually going to make the money in the end. So I was like, well, what can I think, what can I make that I can sell directly to the public and maybe make some money on? And I didn't want to start a store and I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to start and make an item. And I, and I always wanted to get back into writing because that was a stronger, I, I was always pretty good at, at writing in general. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll come up with a film. Uh, Cause filmmaking has it, 10 years ago, a, Joe Schmo like me could never have gotten into film and made a film in two years. It would have, I would have needed to make the film that I made. I would have needed at least $3 million. I would have needed to hire a whole production company. I would have had to buy the film stock. Now it's, you make the, you make the film, you have the file, you can rent the file out through a streaming service and it's relatively easy. It's not easy, but it's relatively easier compared to the way it used to be, which is why a lot of people have flooded into the film market. But, We've, uh, so then I took the film and I had the, I had the screenplay and I was like, all right, well, let's, uh, let's start the process. And then two years later, I mean, there's a lot that went from that in those two years, but two years later I had the film and uh, then it came time to sell. And it was like right back to trading again. You, you have to come up, you have to follow the rules. And, and uh, so that's what I've been, been doing. But, but the process, I learned a lot. And this next film won't take me two years. I'm hoping to complete the next film within a couple of months, but that means a lot more planning is going to go into it before I shoot it. Like with, with Buzzkill New Jersey, I was like, okay, we got a concept. I got, I got a couple grand. Uh, let's just start. And then I ran out of money and I had to get more money to fill, finish. The, so that's why I would, so now it's, I'm gathering up all the, the pre-production things that you have to do. You have to, 
you have to cast it. That's, that's number one. And the cast is basically the most important part of the film, in my opinion. Um, the locations are important because that's what you're ending up seeing. You're seeing the locations and the people. So I got a great cast. Um, they were all professional and, and, and when, you know, and they're looking for opportunity and they want to be in a movie. They don't want to, they don't want to keep doing commercial stuff. They, they don't want to get typecast as a, they want to, they want to do films. That's the big league. That's the big leagues as far as an actors go. And so then, you know, I, so I took my, my story, which was about me and my friends and we had a house party and I was like, all right, so what if one, uh, during one of these house parties it got crashed by the Jersey devil? And that was basically it. I figured that was plausible enough, especially in New Jersey with the Jersey devil being right down south, that that could have happened. And then from there, it's just, I, when, from the writing perspective, you take it as a, you take it at a scene, a scene at a time, you have your characters, and they're interacting with each other and you got to basically take it scene by scene. And then, uh, then you have your story and then it comes time to film. And then you end up, when you, when it comes time to film, you, you got to figure, you forgot the story, but can I, can I really film here? All right. So I wrote this story that we're in a, we're on the beach. Well, the, this scene's taking place on the beach. Am I, am I allowed to film on the beach? I have to get permission from the town. So things change based on, you know, um, on the locations, the, the actors and the locations, two biggest, two biggest things. And that's, that's the, the, what I learned the most out of the first thing, the first film was that the actors and the locations are race, basically gonna make or break your project. I like that you said, <clears throat> I only had uh, a story that we had a house party. And I said, what if the house party got crashed by the Jersey Devil? And you just ran with that, you know? <laughs> A lot of people, and you know, and you said your next film is going to have a lot more planning into it, and it'll be able to go a lot quicker. But you know, the one thing that I tell you know my clients and uh, people that follow me on social media is just go off half cocked. It's okay, and that's what you did. You went off half cocked, and now you have a movie that is on Amazon Prime. That yeah. I mean, Amazon Prime is probably next to Netflix, one of the biggest film platforms on the planet and yeah. it's all because you had three sentences worth of story in your head and you went off half cocked and just winged it and did it as you went you know you said you know uh, you didn't know if you had enough money to get it done but you just said screw it i'm gonna just go with it and where i get stuck i'll build up from there and that's what you did you started with three sentences worth of story and you made a freaking movie that is now on amazon What's that like to look now when you can get on your, like I can get on my Roku TV right now and just go clicking through and bam, there is Buzzkill, New Jersey. And yeah. this guy made it off of three sentences that he had in his head and just went off half cocked flying by the seat of his pants. What's that like for you knowing that you started with three sentences and then you look and you see that's my damn movie on this TV that millions yeah. of people are watching. Well, the thing about the movie is that I've seen Buzzkill New Jersey at least 150 times. So when I watch it, I'm like, okay, this again. But I mean, I'll tell you, the, it, because of the COVID situation, um, normally Amazon, when they're publishing, you go through what's called quality control. And that's where they're looking for the mistakes that they're going to flag you for and you're going to have to resubmit. 
You don't want that to happen. So what I ended up having to do, what I did before that was I, I contacted uh, a, an aggregator, this company, there's a few of them still around. The one that I use is called Bitmax. And what they do is you pay them, they, they run through quality control with you. They tell you what's gonna be, um, like they, they have all the criteria for Netflix, they have it for iTunes, they have it for Vudu. And then they tell you what you need to change, what you need to fix. So that process took about, I would say close to four months. They would give me these long reports and there'd be a time code. It would say, I, I wish I had, I had an example with you because if you saw it, it'd make your eyes cross, but they would give me these long reports and the time code would be linked out or would be on the one side. And then it would say the issue, the, and if it was in red, that means that it's gonna fail. If you don't fix this, it's gonna fail. If it's in yellow, it's like, okay, we want you to change this, but if you don't change it, it's not a big deal. Me being the perfectionist that I am, I fixed everything that they said, but then I would then resubmit it and then they'd come up with a whole bunch of new things. And the big thing that they were, they, they were saying is, these are just examples. You then have to go and then find the rest of the issues that are there, but you can, it's, it's it's tough. It's the back end of it. It's the not glamorous part of it. I mean, it's the least fun. It's the grunt work. Yes. It's nobody wants to yeah. hear about it. When I'm complaining about it, people are like, like, oh, that, that's too bad. I mean, I don't know what you're saying, but uh, I feel for <laughs> you. But then, so then fast forward to like last week, I'm waiting for it to go through Amazon. So I'm, I'm, re I'm refreshing the page on, from the creator standpoint. I have a, I have a back end that I upload the, the file to and it and I'm I'm just waiting for it to say published and it and because of the COVID situation what was supposed to take two to four days took uh, close to six weeks and then the you know I had an issue with my closed captioning my closed captioning was a little bit off um, so the first thing and then, so then I, I would refresh the the, the browser and it would, and I'd see I'd see red which means red is bad and I, and I was like oh my god and uh, and I've and I've been through it with the distributor before, or with the, or with the aggregator. So I've thrown things at the wall. I mean, there's marks around. If you look around my my apartment, <laughs> there's a hole in the wall over there. My Rubik's cube I threw out the wall a long time ago. There's there's you know it gets you angry because you've put all your work into this. It you think it's perfect, and then and then okay okay I have to start over again. But by starting over again, that means you have to go make the make the change print the new version and re-upload the new version. All that stuff takes about 24 hours each, or not each, but to print a new, to make the changes would take about a couple of days, depending on how many changes, to print the new, to print the new file, that takes about uh, three hours. To upload the file takes 30 hours to upload it to the server. So every time something, every time there's something that goes wrong, your, your release date is, getting put out. I wanted to release this in 2019. It didn't, I wanted to release this in August of 2019 and I ended up releasing it in July of 2020. Hey, this is Nate from Unlimited Live Concepts and we teach people how cash flow strategy can be just as powerful as investing. Imagine being able to earn interest off of every dollar that flows through your hands, whether you're spending it or saving it. 
We offer a lifetime membership to our financial education platform for $77, but right now you can use promo code RUGGEDLEGACY and save 50% off. With Go Hunt America, you can experience your own outdoor adventure at the touch of your finger. You can find hunting, fishing, and camping spots anywhere in the U.S., put there by private landowners, and you can even list your own. It doesn't matter if it's a large tract of land or a small duck blind. Just go to GoHuntAmerica.com to get started. Coming soon to the Google Play and Apple App Store. But you know what? And that, that was on me. That was all my burden. I was, nobody else cared. People knew I was making movies. Hey, when that movie, when's that movie coming out? Oh, it's going to be out any day now. It'll be, it'll be out next week. I said that for about three months. I said it was coming out next week when anybody asked me. And you know what the thing is? Now that it's out and, and that it's there, I, can, I don't have to worry about that anymore. And it's all in the past. So it's, it's stuff that I went through and I, and I learned from it. But the people that, you know, that were asking me, they don't care. They just wanted, they just wanted to see it. So now that it's out, now that we're at past that point, now they can see it and I don't have to worry about it anymore. But when you're in it, it's tough. It's a, it's something that I hope to control my, my emotions because you get invested in your project, your, whatever your project is, right. it's yours. And when, when it, when someone uh, criticizes it, you take it personally because you, know, you put all this work into it. But, you know, it's the first time doing anything. I'm sure if I was going to do anything that I had never done before, there was going to be issues. But yeah, filmmaking, when people say that filmmaking is difficult, um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, of course it's difficult. It's, 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 a, it's a difficult, uh, it's not easy to make a film. It's not easy to publish a film. It's easy, it's not completely difficult it's to, easy to make a film it's not easy to make a good film that people will actually accept and upload yes gotcha. so you're you are essentially an indie filmmaker you know you weren't backed by any major studios so all of the legwork had to be done by you and pretty much you alone unless you sub something out mm-hmm. you you, you you said you're already, you know, planning, <clears throat> excuse me, you said you're already planning on a second film and you're getting ready to go into the planning process for that so you can get it filmed and have it done in, a, in just a few short months versus a few, a few years. Is it because of the feeling of accomplishment when you saw it finally uploaded on Amazon going, holy shit, my movie is now on Amazon, my fucking movie is on Amazon. I mean, that's gotta be a hell of a feeling. Is that what made you want to do another one right away? Well, I wrote the second one before I produced the first one. So I, I wrote part one and then I wrote part two. So I was always planning on doing part two. If part one worked, part two was a go because I figured I'm an independent filmmaker. I got no, you know, I don't have a studio behind me. I don't have much money behind me, but if I have one film and it, and, it, that, and I put that out there and people like it, that'll be a good way to promote my next film. It's your you know, social proof. It's your validation that you need saying, hey, this yeah. one's already out there and it was good enough for Amazon. Yeah. 
then this one's going to be good too. I mean, I mean yeah. we've all seen movies that weren't all that good to us, but they get big reviews, and a, a lot of them are indie films. I mean, hell, what's that other? What's that one that's big on the indie films? Was it Tribeca? Tribeca Film Festival. Is that the one that's big on the indie films that yeah. were really stupid? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and Cannes. And so, yeah, that's the other one. And all these independent films do very well. They just don't get the initial mass media attention because they're not backed by Universal or Fox or, or, or whatever. But there's really good films out there that are independently made. And I feel personally like if a movie was made independently, you know, or a novel was written by an indie writer. The content is going to be so much better because it wasn't picked at. And no, I don't want this. No, I don't want Because if you had tried to make this movie with the backing of a studio, you would have given up 99% of your control and they would have made the movie how they wanted. And Buzzkill wouldn't be what it is. No. But you get to really feel, and that's why I encourage a lot of people to self-publish anything they do. You know, yeah. Because their voice and their vision gets heard and they're not watered down, especially now in this hyper woke, oh, you can't say that some, you know, person from this Amazonian tribe that has never, ever, you know, known oh, what the electricity it. is. He doesn't know what the electricity is in the 65 years he's been alive to be offended. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you give up a lot of that creative control. But you know, it's interesting that you chose the Jersey Devil and these urban legends and kind of the supernatural thing. Because that's not the only kind of supernatural thing you're kind of involved in, right? There's no. some uh, paranormal investigation. It's uh, yeah. Hope Paranormal, right? Yes, Hope Paranormal. So let's that a little bit. All right, so a little background on me uh, to get into the Hope Paranormal stuff. Uh, so back when I was living in Florida, I met, a, I met a guy and his name is Josh Lewis. He's from New York and I met him down there when we were both living down there. And at the time he had, I don't know if people remember this, when they, remember when they were selling that herbal incense, it was the manufactured or the synthetic, the synthetic pot that wouldn't show up on a drug test. Oh, uh, spice. Spice was the, yes, he was. Yeah, I remember that. I remember a big old thing about that. Yes. So Josh was the first one to bring it to America. And he ended up making a lot of money about it. His stuff was called Black Magic. That was the original stuff. Spice came later. Um, A lot of different stuff came later. And it was all, it was all a crapshoot from there. But what what Josh found is the way that the background on that was, so there was this um, scientist and he was in a country, uh, somewhere in Europe and that country pot was illegal, but he wanted to test, test the effects of marijuana on, on appetite. I forget whatever it was. So he created a synthetic drug very close to THC that wouldn't show up on a drug test, but gave the same effects as marijuana. And so for the people in, there's a lot of uh, people in that go to rehab down in Florida. They go to, uh, they end up in a halfway house down there and they get they're getting drug tested or they have to go to court or whatever and they can't they can't and weed is one of the most stubborn stays in your system very long so he um so yeah he started this company that was selling it and he and so he made a lot of money from that 
and he got out of it before it got too bad. He actually made a film about it. So then from there, from the, from the uh, black magic, he started getting into uh, filmmaking. He made a movie about it. It's called Not For Human Consumption. I think it's on Amazon, it should be. Uh, that was his first film. And it was basically the story of what happened with him and the whole thing it was, it was pretty dramatic. I mean, it was a pretty dicey situation. He was, you know, it's not something, uh, you know, it's gonna attract some unsavory associations. But anyway, he got out of it and he got into filmmaking. And that's how I got into filmmaking basically because I was like, oh, this, this guy's like me. He's, he's, he's a, you know, he's a North, Northeastern, you know, regular, regular kind of guy. We kind of have the same interests and stuff. He's a Yankees fan like I am. And he, and he's producing, he's producing a movie and it just seemed so cool at the time. I mean, this was a long time ago, but I was just like so enamored by the filmmaking process. I mean, it's glamorous. It seems glamorous from the outside. Um, he made the first film, he made another film after that. Um, and then, so, I don't, I forget exactly how he got started in the whole paranormal stuff. So he was traveling down south uh, to Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, and he passed a cemetery. And he, according to him, I don't know how, if he had any of the equipment at the time, but there was this spirit or a, a ghost that he said followed him from the, from the cemetery back to his hotel room and, and he was talking to him. And he was not, you know, he's not a very uh, spiritual, he's not an overly spiritual guy. Uh, I'm not sure what his uh, politics are or, or his um, religion is, but, you know, not, not overly, you know, he's, he's not going to just, just like me, I'm not going to believe that there's ghosts until I, until I see it, you know, until, until I have some sort of proof. So he started, um, he started uh, Hope Paranormal, which is basically what his, what his mission became over time, because eventually he started getting these different, uh, there's a, there's something called a spirit box. And so when you think of- Yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of people have uh, seen those things. It's, uh, my wife likes those shows, uh, Ghost Adventures, Cats, Ghost Hunters. A uh, little sidebar, when we were in Arizona, we went to the OK Corral in Tombstone. Okay. And we went to um, the Birdcage Hotel, which is supposedly one of the most haunted places in America. You know, that's where uh, uh, Doc Holliday and Johnny Ringo had their famous game at the fair tables, and all that original stuff is still in there. And in the back, uh, just behind the stage, there's a hearse. And it's at all black. It was a horse-drawn hearse, and it was called the Black Mariah. And the legend goes that it carried that. No, the legend was the Black Mariah ate a cow ate a cowboy for breakfast every single day for three years straight during the height of Tombstone. You know, after Ed Shefflin had found it and uh, had founded the town uh, off the silver mines and all that and the other. And it, of course, everybody rushing there to boom there's a lot of gunfights people getting shot and killed so one of the things we did um while we were there we were there all day um we did this midnight ghost tour of the birdcage hotel um or the birdcage theater not hotel sorry mm -hmm. so what we did is we had to go into this back room and we're sitting beside this freaking hearse right at this table and they had 
everybody, if you have uh, the ability to record audio on your cell phone, pull your recorder, you know, your recorder app out and hit record, and it will cut out all the lights. And they had uh, <clears throat> what are they called? Uh, K2 meters that measure electromagnetic fields and all this other, basically the same stuff you see on all the ghost hunting shows. Yeah. And you know, they would ask questions and. <clears throat> You know, you could hear like weird stuff, like footsteps or a door close. And as far as we knew where we were sitting there, there was, you know, and I'm a skeptic, you know, I'm not going to believe it there until I see it. But, you know, you hear like the poker chips moving on the table downstairs, or you hear footsteps on the stairs behind you. And it's pitch black, dark, you can't see anything other than like the little green and red lights on people's recording devices. And uh, you know, th- at the end of it all, you play it back, and you can hear like weird, random like voices that you didn't hear before, or weird sounds. It was it was a really weird experience. You know, my yeah. wife, uh, being one of those that are entirely convinced that ghosts exist, uh, you know, she got a little weirded out by it all. I thought it was peculiar, but yeah, <clears throat> my, you know, my wife started watching. Um, the Hope Paranormal YouTube channel uh, after uh, you had told me about it. And it's very similar to a lot of those shows. And I think a lot of people are hungry for that kind of thing. Again, it's a distraction. um, But at the same time, it kind of ties back into uh, what you did with the Jersey Devil. It's something people relate to because I don't care who you are. Everybody knows at least one person who has a story where they saw a ghost at this person's house this one time, or they know somebody who, you know, my grandma's house was haunted because the rocking chair would move by itself. Everybody has those things. So how exactly are you involved in Hope Paranormal? All right. So now it's going to get, you're going to, it's going to get weird now because I never really, (laughs) I never really considered myself an overly spiritual individual um i feel um it's weird it's it's, so i i got i got interested in what josh was doing into into what hope paranormal was doing and his and the videos when you're watching them they're not exact it's not very cut and dry it's almost a bit confusing when you're watching and you don't have any you don't have any background information of what's happening you kind of have an idea of what's happening because they 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 tell you a bit so what i started doing is i started um watching the videos and then I, I do a quick write up so that, you know, maybe if me personally, I, I'm, I get more information from reading something, a quick summary of what just happened as opposed to watching the whole film. So, or the whole the whole videos, cause sometimes they take a long time and you don't, and the, and the voices that would come through on the recordings, you know, they would have the subtitles underneath of what it's supposed to say, but you're not sure if it matches because this and that. So I started to write up, um, you know, I started, I started a Hope Paranormal section of the director's post, which is the blog in the back of Buzzkill, New Jersey. If, if you go to the website, the, the director's post is like the film blog. And there's all different things. I have a movie reviews one. I have a Jersey Devil one. If you want all the Jersey Devil stories, I found all of them and I put them on. And then ghost stories. Ghost stories ones, some of them are true, some of them I made up. But the ghost, the Hope Paranormal, I, I felt so strongly that it that people needed to have at least another person telling telling them about this 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 group or my friend he's he's doing this thing that's really 
it's, I don't know, it's sticking with me. I can't, I can't shake it for some reason. So do you think you're going to be going on any investigations anytime soon? I told him I would. Um, he's down in Florida. So I would, uh, if I was down there, it's kind of nerve wracking though. Cause he's, they said that, you know, if a spirit likes you, they'll follow you home and then you can have one attached to you. So, so one day. Well, I mean, it could be, it could be decent company there in New Jersey. Oh yeah. yeah compared to some of, the, <laughs> some of my neighbors. Yeah. It's a welcome, uh, it's a welcome friend. Anyway. So I was doing this, this one day I was typing up and I was in the zone doing my right, doing writing, whatever I was doing. And all of a sudden a voice pops into my head. Now it's not my voice. Sometimes I get a thought and, and you're having a thought. It's my own voice. And this is the thought. It was a different voice. It sounded, I don't, it was like godlike. It was, um, it sounded like angels were talking to me. And the voice said to me, um, tell Josh that Michael is coming to, to help him. Now, I thought that that meant St. Michael, which is the, the, guy, the, the saint that uh, defeated the devil, the archangel Michael. I was like, Josh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. This, I, got, I just heard from, I just heard this voice in my head. And, and he said that, that, this, that the archangel Michael is gonna help you. And he was like, okay. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, so when he's doing his, when he's doing the whole paranormal stuff, he's got what, what he called spirit helpers. And these are spirits that are, um, that are spirits, they're ghosts, and they guide the other spirits that he's trying to talk to by helping them. So these spirits are spirits that have already passed on, gone to heaven, gone to the light. That's what they call it in Hope Paranormal. They, they say it's the light. So the spirits that are trapped on earth, they're trapped on earth, but they're in spirit. They're just an energy form. And then so this spirit called Michael began helping Josh and he was, he, he was like, you predicted that, that this was going to happen. So after I made the prediction that this, this angel, I thought it was an angel. It's a spirit helper. Anyway, so now there's a, there's a Michael involved and he's the one. So when Josh is doing his, his sessions, he's speaking through the spirit box. He's trying to communicate with the spirit. Most of the time that spirit needs a spirit on his end. And that's who Michael is. He's, he's one of a couple. I don't know how many Josh has, but he's basically a guide for the spirits that are trapped. A lot of them, when it comes to ghosts or spirits, they call them, and they're, they, they're called spirits. As that's how Hope um, refers to them. And the reasons that they're stuck on earth is, it's, I mean, people have heard this story. It's, they've got unfinished business something's keeping them here something maybe something they're attached to a house they're attached to something that they own they're attached to a living relative um, they can't get over something sometimes it's um, sometimes it's resolvable and a lot of it a lot of what josh did eventually at the beginning he was just he was just trying to see what was going on trying to talk to him trying to see what they see and then he got to the point where and according to josh he's been pretty open with me about it, that, that he says that Jesus came down to him and told him to keep doing what he was doing. And that's basically when he kicked the whole paranormal thing into high gear, because what Josh was doing was leading these, these spirits that were stuck on earth and leading them towards the light. And when they would find the light, they would go to the light. Uh, apparently they would go to the light and that's, they would go to heaven. They would, they would cross over. 
And so it doesn't always work because a lot of times the spirits have baggage, just like people have baggage. And one of the reasons that, one of the big reasons that, that you end up a ghost is, is suicide. And the reason, and so what's sad about someone who commits suicide is if you commit suicide, this is why you should never do it. If you commit suicide, you get stuck in purgatory, but not only do you get stuck in purgatory, you get stuck in purgatory and you're the only spirit around. You don't see any other spirits. You don't see any people on earth. You're left to walk the earth by yourself. And presumably it's so that you can come to terms with the fact that you are, you hated yourself enough to murder yourself. So you have to come to terms with the person you hated enough to kill, which is yourself. So that's, that's the, I mean, it's a, it seems like a punishment to me. I don't want to say that, but that's the punishment for killing yourself is you end up stuck with yourself, walking the, walking the earth as a spirit. And those, those spirits, it's, he tries, he's tried. I don't know if he's got, I haven't been following him lately. I've been kind of doing the publishing thing with the buzzkill. So I haven't really been following hope too closely. It's tough because they've got a lot of, when you get into that situation, I don't know, he's, he's tried to bring them over. So there's this one guy, I think his name was Nick. I always forget his name. And he came up to Josh. Josh does a lot of work in the cemetery in, in West Palm Beach. That's how he finds the ghosts. I mean, that's where they hang out mostly because that's where their bodies are. And um, the, ghost, the ghost spirit came up to me and said, you're the first person I've seen in 30 years. He had killed himself back in the 80s. And Josh was the first person that he had seen. And that was because Josh was specifically reaching out into the spirit world. But for the everyday people, he was the first person that he had seen. So it was a pretty interesting story. And uh, so now, now Josh- a lot to unpack too, especially, yeah. you know, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever be entirely convinced or unconvinced that uh, that aspect of reality or whatever you want to call it truly exists. You know, I don't think I'll ever be convinced or unconvinced either way. Uh, my views on it are I'm a human. And so it's kind of an, it takes a, a, a bit of supreme arrogance. You know, in my opinion, it's, it, it takes a lot of extreme arrogance to be an atheist, yeah. for example, because, you know, as an atheist, you have to be 100% determined that you as a human know that nothing exists outside of what you can see, feel, touch, whatever. And then the other aspect of it is faith, which to me, that's kind of the opposite of arrogance where it's the admission that you know jack shit. You know, and you're just going off on faith because it's something you feel or have personally experienced. Because having faith and knowing are two very different things. So the whole aspect of the paranormal investigation thing, it's still interesting to me because I have no idea whether there's some jag off off camera, you know, closing doors and whispering, you know, or it's some dude just running his mouth saying, I felt this, I felt that. And, and it, you, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. You know, I'm not particularly convinced that the, the shows that we see, on, you know, that are on like mainstream TV or network cable or whatever are not faked or, you know, anything like that. 
I do know that I've seen things, I've felt things, I've heard things that I can't personally explain that I'll just, I won't say, well, that's a guess. I'll shrug it off. Going, I have no idea what the hell that was. You know, I shrug it off. But it is interesting that um, you're, we're starting to see more and more of these type uh, scenarios or different um, like YouTube channels and videos and people who are investigating in further into the unknown, especially now that as a society, I think we're getting a little more secular. Yes. You know, I don't even think we're getting more secular. Um, to me, everyone is religious. Only their gods are different. Whether your god is money, status, fame, science, people get vehemently religiously overattached to their viewpoints. And so that's you know what I mean when I say that. But I don't when I when I hear you talking about, you know, how Josh has spoken to the spirit and the spirit spoke to him and it's a lot to unpack. But nonetheless, there are a lot of people that are one hundred percent sure that yeah. these that these things are real. And I can't make a determination that they're right or that they're wrong because I just haven't been there. You know, I'm like you, you know, not going to believe it until you see it, but I've got no reason to full on doubt outside of being a mild skeptic, you know? I, I but, think that the, uh, the, I think that the, the fact that God has been removed from the public discourse or especially, I mean, I don't know how, how things were before me, but it seems like God has God, spirituality, any type, you know, won't get into the, the, the different religions, but I think that the general public is kind of yearning to feel that, that, that peace that, that certain religions provide. There's a reason why they've been around for so long. And when you take it out, you removed it from school, the public education, you can't say God, you can't, you can't, you don't, they're, they don't even want you to say God in the Pledge of Allegiance. They don't, they, Christianity is just banished. And people oh, yeah. are here in back. South Carolina, my son just bought a car. Um, we got in his first car. Uh, he's 17. They gave him an option on his license plate. You can have one that does say, in God we trust, or you can have one that doesn't. <laughs> that was never really a thing before. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think the reason that you've got such a big draw to Buzzkill, the reason that your friend Josh has such a big draw to Hope Paranormal is because when certain things are taken out of our daily lives, we get hungry for them. Yes. You know, you don't, it's kind of like you don't know what you're missing until it's gone kind of thing. And so it's very interesting. I mean, there's, last I checked on Hope Paranormal, it's like 62,000 subscribers. Yeah. You know, it's a very large following. So obviously <clears throat> it's something that people are, you know, very interested in. I'd be interested in hearing any kind of feedback from the listeners of this episode. Uh, they can drop me or you a line on social media, uh, to talk about maybe their own experiences. That'd be something cool. Um, yeah. I'll definitely, I'm definitely open to hearing about it. Uh, I like hearing interesting things from interesting people. And as a filmmaker, I know you do too, because it kind of sparks your creativity. Yeah. But, you know, before we wrap up, <clears throat> I just got to say, man, I'm inspired by what you did with Buzzkill. 
because you. you took three sentences worth of an idea that was half-assed, you know, hey, we're at a we're at a house party, and then it gets crashed by the Jersey Devil. So that was the whole premise of a movie that you were able to create uh, that you've already, you know, started working on planning the second film. And your first one is already on a major media platform like Amazon. All right, this is it's not a small accomplishment whatsoever. So, yeah, me, I'm inspired by what you did because it shows that you know, anybody out there listening with these half-assed ideas can make something of them if they just dive in on them. Yeah. You know, just a half-assed idea, but go. go full, go full, put all your into it, put everything you have into it. And, you know, I, I got to the point many times, like I said, throwing stuff at the wall, having anger breakdowns, being very stressed out, but I just, I wouldn't, but the other thing is, here's, a, here's something else. Here's a little bit of it what got me through it because it's a long process and it's difficult from from start to finish there's stuff that pops up i put myself out there i told everybody i knew i'm making a movie i'm making a movie i said it over and over again i told everybody about it i was all excited at the beginning obviously three years later i wasn't as excited about the prospect because i've been doing it for three years but i painted myself into a corner i couldn't just stop i couldn't i couldn't just like give up the project because i told everybody i was going to do it so now when anybody sees me, anybody who, know, anybody who knows me or, or, or you know, anytime I see somebody that I know, how's the movie? I couldn't, because I put myself out there that much and I said, listen, I'm going to do this, told everybody I was going to do it. That meant I couldn't stop. I couldn't give up. And that was basically what helped carry me through to, to the end because the beginning is hard. The middle, you kind of feel like maybe oh, I got a feel for it. I'm, 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 I think I might get this. And then you realize that you're not at the middle, you're only at the first quarter of the process. And there's a whole long thing, a whole long process to go. But you put yourself out there that you're doing it, then you can't really take it back. And that's, that's yeah, one you, of the biggest things. You your peers your accountability partners, you know, because yeah. you don't want to be that guy that said, I'm going to make a movie. And then 10 years later, oh, yeah, I remember that time when you were, uh, said you were making a movie, whatever happened with that. You don't yeah. want to be that guy. No. You know. But you, yeah. you made yourself uh, accountable because you told, you laid your vision out and you said, this is what I'm going to do. And you told everybody you know. And so, again, nobody wants to be the guy who says he was going to do something and then didn't do it. You know, that's one of the core tenets of being a man. If you say you're going to do it, you do it. So, yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> again, I'm inspired that you made this movie happen. And I look forward to watching it tonight with my wife. Um, yeah. you have to let me know I'll, what you think. I'll, I will definitely let you know. What we think. I I'll tell you, it's not going to be what you think it is. I've so it's it's, but it's good. It's it's uh, the horror the horror people liked it. The thing was, it's you know, every every time you see a horror movie, every drop of blood, every every gory scene, that's that's a lot of money. everything. Anytime you see blood or guts, just I think I see dollar signs because all that stuff is expensive. So I had to get creative with it. So it's not, it's not, I call it a dark comedy, dark, a horror comedy, dark comedy. So, but I, I think, uh, you know, it, it, I think you'll like it. it. It's, it's interesting. And the other thing, maybe I'll give you this just so that you can take it with you when you watch it. Another thing I noticed about films that I don't like, cause I, I'll give anything a chance, but me as a viewer, and I think most people as a viewer, 
if a, if a scene drags on for too long, I try never to make any scene longer than like 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Because after a minute, there's like a clock in your head. And after, after you've been watching a scene for a minute, you, you kind of get bored with the scene. So I, my, one of the things I really try to do is I, I would take different scenes, I'd chop them up and cut from scene to scene to scene. So that way the people who are watching it, they, they remain invested in the scene that they're watching because it keeps changing. You know, so it's not like they don't, you know, I don't give them enough time to get bored with the, with the scene, especially if it's a longer scene. I can cut it up into multiple parts and then they can cut, and then I can cut back to it. And that, that, was, that was one of the things that I think why people like it and what, how, why people are able to get to the end um, is because they don't get bored because the scenes keep changing. And, and then also another thing to think of from, from a viewer perspective is how many different locations we have. Every time as if we have a different location, that's a new setup, that's a new day, it's a whole new thing. And, and I made a lot of, there's a lot of different loca locations. That's something that's not, part two is gonna be a little bit different. It's a lot bigger of a production, but part one, I wanted to, I wanted to keep people interested. And I, I, hope, I hope that, that, uh, I hope that, that you liked it. I hope that you like it when you see it. And I hope, you, hope you're able to maintain uh, interest. That was my biggest goal as far as this part, this is my first one. So I wanted people to stay interested and at least, you know, and then, then when the next one comes along, then they'll automatically be interested or you'll be, you know, wanting to see it. Right. Um, so before we wrap up, where can people find you and reach out to you and give you your personal reviews on the film Buzzkill New Jersey, which is on Amazon Prime. Uh, you can order it, watch it. I believe it's just under two hours long. It's only an hour and 10 minutes. Hour and 10 minutes. Okay. So, yes. It's uh. So if you, if you want to get, um, so for the film, buzzkillnewjersey.com, buzzkillnj.com. If you go to buzzkillnj.com, one of the first things that pops up, it says, watch the movie. You click that button, you'll go right to Amazon. That's one way to get, get, to, uh, get to the film. You can search Buzzkill New Jersey into Google. That'll bring you to the website. If you go onto Amazon, search Buzzkill New Jersey. Here it is spelled out. This is from the premiere. Buzzkill, one word, New Jersey, two words. And uh, so buzzkillnewjersey.com, that's where you should go um, if you want to watch the film. And then the director's post, if you wanted to check in on the Hope Paranormal stuff, go to the director's post. Hope, Hope Paranormal has their own section. Jersey Devil has its own section. Ghost Stories has their own section. Uh, film reviews, any movie that I like, I make a review of. Um, a lot of different stuff. There, that, that's, that's something else I just added to because I like doing film reviews. And then if they wanted to, if you wanted to um, speak to me directly on Twitter, I'm Junior Verola NJ, which is J-R Verola, my last name, NJ. Um, and then there's also Buzzkill Movie NJ on Twitter. And, uh, and then also on, if you have TikTok, uh, Joe Verola on TikTok, we've got uh, 63,000 followers. Uh, we do a uh, prequel to the movie, me and the, that main actress or the girl that plays my ex in Buzzkill, we did a prequel before the events of Buzzkill. And uh, that's what's on TikTok. And it's been doing pretty well. The last, move, the last video got six, six million views. I haven't checked it in a while, but- uh, You might want to get that on YouTube before uh, TikTok gets banned, I guess. Yeah, that's the thing. We were, uh, we're gonna, I'm probably gonna be moving that set up to a new platform. 
but uh, yeah, for now it's it's the the videos are only a couple of like the last video is only twenty seconds long, but you'd have to see it. It's got ghosts in it. That one that one's got ghosts. Actually, no, they're not. Right. Well, I won't give that away, but yeah, Joe Varola on TikTok, yeah. Junior Varola NJ on Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm shadow banned on Twitter, so if you become friends with me on or follow me. You know, hopefully uh, it stays that way. I lose like a, a follower every day, even though I never participate. So I don't know. But Twitter's a great platform. I'm not trying to say anything, but I just, you know, that's how it is. I got you. Well, Joe, man, I appreciate you coming on the show, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great combo. Like I, said, I look forward to uh, checking the movie out. My wife has been really enjoying the uh, Hope Paranormal videos. Uh, for those of you listening, again, you can find joe on twitter tiktok and of course his film buzzkill new jersey buzzkill all one word new jersey two words uh website not the destination don't go to jersey even if you live in jersey don't go to jersey <laughs> there's a, 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 apparently there's a devil running around there yeah but uh joe uh, again thanks for coming on the show brother it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you so much for having me all right, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Rugged Legacy Podcast. Thank you all for listening, and be sure to check out our sponsors. Thank you for listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the content on all of the episodes, especially this one here. If you'd like to become a contributor and support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash ruggedlegacy and click on the support icon. Everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire. This has been a Rugged Legacy production.